0: Let me begin without any hesitation here or delay by expressing my thanks to Bob for the use of this particular room this evening. What a tremendous pleasure it is to be part of that. I'm grateful for your help. For the second year in a row, we, uh, we're here in this room on a Friday night in November. So uh, thank you again, Bob, for the the opportunity to do this here. We, it's great to have to be able to look back at this and say it really is the second annual when I was in journalism school they used to really jump on us hard about uh, writing about something that's a first annual because according to the associated press there really is no such thing um you can say that we're going to do it again next year but you know the best laid plans etc so i've always been careful about that whole first annual thing all my life it's funny how silly lessons like that stick so we really can now look back and say that this is the second annual and uh and it's legit. So again, thank you for the privilege of having it here. We appreciate it immensely. And these proceedings are being recorded. For the benefit of those who cannot attend, we will archive them and uh, make sure that the list gets a copy of the archive. Just a little tiny bit of list business, if I might. Uh, last week, um, week Ann Hancock spoke at the American Council of the Blind of Ohio State Convention, I'm going to edit that speech in a, a day or two and try to create a circumstance whereby we can notify list members as to how to go get that if they choose to do that. Anne is a longtime DB review member and, of course, a, a, a longtime narrator of NLS uh, talking books. So I will work on that edit and let you know how to download that. Those of you who are interested in doing that. Okay, um, I'll. I'm not going to monopolize this discussion, I promise. You will all get an opportunity to speak your piece and do that multiple times. So everybody who is here will have plenty of opportunity to speak if they choose to do that. As is true with the list, you may also just listen, and that's perfectly acceptable as well. So there's no ground rule here that forces you to to pipe up. Um, This is, as I said, the second annual wrap-up of the Fall Classic. It's the uh, group's look at... John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath. I'm not sure how to proceed. There's so many questions that I can ask about this book and so many different answers that you can give. I guess I'll just jump in. Um, Briefly, let me just tell you that when I first heard that we were going to do this book, when the list voted sort of, overwhelming not really overwhelmingly, but by certainly a solid majority to do it, my first thought was, oh, gosh, I've read this. Must we really do this book? But then I you know I thought, okay, you, you got to do what the list wants. You have to do it their way. That's their they they've picked. it's the majority, so just you know man up and st- stop being a little crybaby. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make with you is that I'm really glad that it was chosen. Uh, I had read it before, but the opportunity to do that again really brought back some things, and I had forgotten probably ninety eight percent of the book to be completely truthful with you that phenomenally powerful ending scene is the only one I had remembered. So um, it was great to reread it. I'm grateful to all of you who chose that book. Uh, once again, it proves that the, the wisdom of the group is, is superior to the wisdom of the individual in many, many instances. So thank you for that. Let's jump in and just talk about um, the book. I'd like to get your assessment of the one aspect of the book that will probably stay with you the longest and why so i'm going to go ahead and once again for those of you who are entering the room the question we're asking that we'd like you to consider briefly is what aspect of this book is likely to stay with you for a while in your memory and for and and for what reason so i'll i'll be quiet now and let you answer that and then maybe i'll chime in with a brief thought or two of my own
1: okay well i'll start because pam and i uh live in the area where Steinbeck lived a couple of years before he wrote the book. He was here in Visalia in 1938 and his experience here in Visalia was what made him write the book Grapes of Wrath according to a, a Google site I have called uh, called uh, uh, Sir John uh, Sir John of Steinbeck that I've got on on the other, uh, the other side right now. And what I can tell you is the malaise that the book portrays and the, the depression, the, the, the you know, things that are just only going to get worse. That, when oh, we lived, we lived in, we've lived in this valley. I've lived in this valley since the 70s. And I lived first farther south in the city of Porterville. Lived around a lot of the, 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 the descendants of the Dust Bowl Okies and some of them themselves. And that remains to this very day. You talk to some of these people who came from Oklahoma at that time and it is so strong the, the 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 despair is so strong that it still exists in people who are really who lived that and who were there and even the children of these people there's still just a it's it's almost a uh a dis, a, a despair is probably the best word i can describe it but uh, this, uh the, there are still areas of this county that are at, that are as poor today as they were in the days of grapes of wrath, and it's just because there's there's just this. I despair isn't even a strong enough word to describe it, and it's carried on through the years.
2: When I'm following up on Dave, I'm glad I was able to do that. When I came to Porterville several years after he, uh, he and I were taking a trip, and we went to the bus station to get our tickets, and when the bus, uh, the uh, uh, ticket taker when the clerk learned that I was from New York she said this must be a real uh, sh- culture shock for you and this is in 1992 uh, and I said well yes you got that right next sentence she uttered was read the grapes of wrath and you'll understand Porterville so I got into the regional library and uh, which I hadn't done yet I read it in braille and believe me yes he is so correct some of these folks that we know in this area they get a job at at Kmart or Walmart and they think they've achieved it just the the higher education higher anything is just so foreign to them it's 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 hard to even fathom it's hard to even understand but but yes the that book uh, uh, That's what I learned from that book. Mr. Steinbeck was absolutely right on with that.
3: Uh, Let me say for our new people to the client, hold the control key down. You're queuing up like being in line at a bank. Uh, It's hard to wait for just an opening and you can do it. We'd love to hear from people that we don't hear. Besides, Dave and Pam did a great job there, but uh, so forth.
4: Very briefly, when thinking about the grapes of wrath, I will say, Nolan and to the rest of you, that... Of course, the ending is very powerful. It says so much, and it's it's just, it's beyond powerful. But I've read a lot of John Steinbeck's works, and I would say that the thing that always stands out for me with John Steinbeck is his deep love and rich portrayal of land. He writes of it so beautifully. And that has always remained with me in whatever book I've read in which land is described, and it is often. That's what I love about this book and many others that Steinbeck wrote.
5: Well, this is Alan. What's going to stick with me is is, it it never ceases to amaze me is is how man can mistreat his fellow man. You know, uh, they made the comment several times in, in this book when these people that were so down and out and they were so poor, but they were still good people. I mean, they were, they were trying to make their way in the world, and darn, they, they kept getting beat back by the man with the money every which way they turned. And, uh, and they kept making that comment, you know, well, the man with a man with a team of horses won't let them starve, uh, but, you know, those are horses and these are men. And uh, the, the way we can mistreat our fellow man never ceases to amaze me, and that's going to stick with me. Uh, this is the first thing I've, I guess I've ever read by Steinbeck. I, I don't know how I missed it in school, but uh, it was a very powerful story, uh, very well written, very, uh, 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 and Stephen Carpenter did a great job with the narration. I thought.
3: Well, very quickly, about two or three things stick out, you know, for wanted for discussion. Obviously, the Rose of Sharon ending was very, very powerful. Rose of Sharon grew up just by looking at her ma and saying yes. It was just powerful, and then what what she did in helping bring life to that man. Uh, secondly, Ma was impressive in her efforts to hold the family together. And three, I have two more real quick. Three, her bargaining with the grocer for a dime. He took a dime. This man who, who started to respect this great lady, gave her a dime and said, "Okay, pay me back." And you don't hear it in the book, but you know she got a credit slip and paid him back. Uh, and then the, the fourth thing is when the preacher was killed and Tom in a rage killed the heavy set officer, the bully, the pig as we called them in the 70s and 60s. Uh, and um, that was a uh, high water. There were so many, but that they really, if I was dozing, I woke up very quickly and I didn't doze much for this, in this book.
6: The thing that struck me was um, the scene where the truckers go into the restaurant And they eat the pie and all of that, and then they give the kids uh, the candy. Because my mom, back in 1980 or so, worked at a shell station where they had, it's right up there on the CrossFit Highway. It still runs in New Mexico. And they had little gas pumps out front, and they had the front part where they had the candy, and they had the knives, and they had different things in glass cases. And then in the back, they were in the restaurant. And so they opened for breakfast and lunch. And then once that closed down, the whole, the, all the, that was open was the front. Only um, they closed down around 3 in the afternoon, 4 in the afternoon, and there wasn't a whole lot of business. So I got the run of the place in the front because everybody else was back talking and laughing and everything. Even my brothers and sisters would go back there. And so it was just me out front going, wow, this is really cool stuff, looking at all the different A-track tapes and all the stuff that I really wanted to see—the knives—and that they had in glass cases. But most of the rest of it, I could see, and it just brought back all of those memories. I was like, "Yeah, I can identify with this."
7: Um, this is Vicki Pran. Um, I, what I think makes everything so memorable in this book is the the characters. They are just so strongly drawn. They're they're, they're real. It's um, they're they're not just. Just little, you know, stories. They're they're real people. Oh, I agree with
8: Vicki very much. Um, The writing, uh, he spends a long time talking about the turtle. And the writing is just so beautiful. You just want to keep on going with it. And yes, Ma's characterization and all of the characterizations were wonderful, but Ma is so strong, just so determined, just so and, and generous and wonderful. And um, you feel so frustrated with the people because they're reading the handbills that tell them of this wonderful place that if they drive... Far enough, they're going to get to this land of milk and honey, where they're going to find jobs and they're going to be paid a decent wage. And it doesn't work out as the handbill said it would. And um, oh, I just love this book. I love Steinbeck. I think he's probably one of my favorite authors.
9: I
4: agree about the the turtle. I think the turtle, that whole thing, was just so symbolic of what they were going through. I was very moved by that.
3: Uh, Let me say to some of us who are new, if you don't have a mic, you can hit F8, write your comment, uh, and enter. And Susan is always great at jumping up there and seeing it, and she'll work her way in and read it. So don't feel that you're out of this.
0: Okay, well, um, are there any other comments on some portion of the book that, For me, of course, it's always, always, always going to be that end scene, that final scene, that just the contrast of that young girl and the old man, the starvation and the humanity, her ability and willingness to help. It's a stark, shocking kind of thing, or it was for me the first time I read it, and the second time it had no less power. Um, My goodness, uh, boy. I don't know. That that probably will continue to be with me for a long time to come. The the idea that she would be willing to do that, and that he would be in such a horrific state of affairs that 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 he would you know do that uh, simply to survive. Just well, you you were all there, so you understand it. But um, are there any other comments or thoughts on something that will remain with you throughout the as a result of your reading of this book that will be with you for a while to come?
10: Well, I think the interesting thing about that ending was the first time I read the book, which was probably maybe 20, 25 years ago, um, that ending totally escaped me. And when people started referring to it on DV Review, I thought, I don't remember this ending. So when I got to the ending... It blew me away to the point where I went back and reread it. I couldn't believe what I had read, which and then I had then I just stopped and sat and thought about it and what a what a situation
3: it really was. Well and the thing is Steinbeck really when I read it the first time I knew he fooled me because totally the the least the the most selfish person in many ways I mean it was Rose of Sharon. I said she's she'll never Help him. And boy, when she said yes, Rose of Sharon grew up. And I love, well, it was a sad moment when Rose of Sharon asked her mother, is the baby all right or is everything all right? She says, you'll have other babies. She didn't say no, you know, and wail, but she said, you'll have other babies.
9: Uh, I read it the first time, I hate to say it, but 45 years ago, and um, loved it then, love it now, but the the person I really enjoyed was Casey, the preacher, because he had his doubts. He was um, not a preacher, no matter what. But the last thing he said was, they don't know what they're doing. And that really hit me. Yeah, this was quite a book, from, you
11: know, as far as I'm concerned. And something hit me at the beginning as to why they all had to leave in the first place is, and I, I think of myself if I had been in a situation where these big tractors came onto our land, or would come onto the land and just run the house over and tip it over and, and wreck it. And uh, for a woman, you know, the house is really the center of, the, of uh, her life. And, and here it is. they're trying to end everything, and they really had no choice but to, to get out of there and to go. And uh, I think I kind of hated to see this book end because I became quite fond of uh, so many of the characters in the book. I got disgusted sometimes with Rosa Sharon because I thought that there were times she was just kind of a brat and kind of was uh, depending on everything. And, and got very. I've seen so many women like Ma who will do anything to keep the family together, or to pull the family together, and where the roles of the mother and the, the father almost become reversed. Um, but it, uh there are just so many so many aspects to this bit, book. I uh, didn't realize powerful it was such honor. a powerful book.
2: I in some of the lighter moments, well, they were lighter, but they also so showed the change in their. The lives where the little kids, the youngest children, and I mean, I admit it's been years since I read it. I came in here because I saw the discussion, but when the younger uh, brother and sister came to Ma and said we've done this terrible thing, and they thought they had broken the uh, toilet, and Ma just, you know, laughed and told them everything was okay, and she'd seen magazines because these people, uh, these people didn't. uh, I mean, they went out they went to the outhouse they didn't have indoor plumbing and the dime when she uh she, rose, rose rose of sharon walked in with her head dripping and Mom said you had a bath and uh pa said uh, in the in the uh, restroom i never stank before and the guy the head of the camp said well you probably never smelled yourself before these people knew nothing I mean, it sounds like I'm scatological here, but these people knew nothing of indoor plumbing, and this was an entire change in their life. And Ma, thank goodness, had read magazines, and she knew there were other things out there, so she could, uh, you know, help them and encourage them to embrace these changes. And, of course, that's also what made everything else when they had to leave the
3: camp so terribly sad.
1: Looks like Don Horn uh, wrote a comment here. Should I read it, uh, Bob?
3: It's up to Nolan, but I'm sure we might want to hear from Don. So that's an easy one.
0: Yes, please. I, I think his microphone doesn't work in these uh, circumstances, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, please go ahead.
1: Don says, when you read the book again, make note of all the Bible references, even the preacher's initials.
0: Yeah, uh, that struck me, too. That that guy is, is um, despite his denial, <laughs> probably has, a in some respects, a better handle on... Um oh, I hate to get i don 't know a better handle on the teachings of 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 Christ than just about anybody there um, and and you also see the horrific distortions in my judgment at least with regard to the teachings of of christ um, with the 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 woman in the camp who put such a horrible fear into the poor uh, little pregnant girl to rose of Sharon and so on so um, but yeah absolutely the the biblical references are um, clearly there's proof that Steinbeck was well versed, if I can use the term, in his knowledge of, uh, of things biblical and he does a wonderful job really of, of making that all come to life and intertwining the, the two together so good point, well put
8: um, I, just, 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 uh, I just thought of this when the blind man is feeling sorry for himself and Steinbeck won't have any part of that. And um, he says, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly exact, I mean, what he says as far as, um, you know, you could get out there and do things and you just want to feel sorry for yourself. And I thought, that was so terrific. Steinbeck had a handle on a lot
11: of things. Did they really have camps? Like that government camp, which where they were at least treating people like human beings. All
7: oh, right, um, that that was. <laughs> I wasn't going to answer your question, Ruth I had a, another comment going back to what Joni was saying. Um, one of the things that um, I I find intriguing about Steinbeck, he was way ahead of himself in his at- way ahead of the, the his um, generation in his attitudes towards people with any kind of disability because um, another one of his really, really good books is Of Mice and Men, where um, the uh, one of the main characters is uh, retarded.
1: The, uh, the answer to your question, Ruth, is absolutely they had camps like that. There are still, to this day, remnants of them. We have over here by Farmersville one called Linnell Camp, and down by Porterville there was a Woodville labor camp. Yes, they existed. They definitely, uh, what he what he wrote was what he saw, and they were there, absolutely. No question, it was absolutely real.
3: And the worst camps were the Hoovervilles. You know, that was interesting. That's absolutely true. That's what they called them across the country, building uh, houses out of boxes, the Hoovervilles.
0: What's really fascinating to me is that there is no group or political side who can claim any kind of real victory in this book. Um yeah, the government camps were, you could say, those were there as as a, a respite for that family. And so to that degree, there was certainly victory. But they weren't the be-all, end-all, and fix-all, you see. And the private sector was absolutely um, horrific here. So, you know, the, the conservatives can't stand up and say, aha, this book proves that private sector uh, uh, solutions are far better, free market solutions are, are, in, are uh, lopsidedly far better. The, the liberal or progressive side cannot stand up and say, aha, this book proves that the government f- uh, camps are the be-all, end-all, fix-all panacea, that kind of thing. Nobody really won here uh, on, on on either side of this. And I'm not trying to politicize the book, and you're all saying, well, it sure sounds like it to me. It's not That really wasn't my intent. It's, I'm being rather clumsy, I guess. But, yeah, and, and Don's point that Steinbeck deals with real people, and that he understands the complexities of this stuff, um, and that, he, you know, he was able to show both sides of that issue and show you that both sides um, didn't quite measure up in a very real way, and so, yeah, I, I don't know, I didn't mean to, again, I'm not trying to politicize anything, I just wanted to throw that in there as a, an interesting perspective. Um, I'd like to move on to another issue, if, if we might. Those of you who read the list know that there was a certain level of anger, uh, I guess I can use that word, uh, from the, on the part of some of the members of the list with regard to how this book ended. Um, there was some angst about the fact that you really never know what happened to the family. Did did uh, Ruthie and and her brother grow up, and how did they grow up, and what did they become? Um, whatever happened to Tom? What happened to you know Noah for that matter, who clearly just sort of uh, Stayed down there by the river, and we have no idea. Now, some of you actually have some great thoughts on how you think maybe this this might have turned out, Um, and I'd like to hear your thinking on the ending. Why did it end the way it did? Is there a reason to be angry, Um, or do we actually have some pretty good idea what may have happened to that family? I'll be quiet and let you go forward.
12: Nolan, before uh, we continue with that, I'd like to share what Don has put into text chat he said this is very typical of Steinbeck, and he deals with real people, and he has a political ideology, but it's not in your face.
3: Right, and and uh, one group that benefited. And then I will comment on Nolan's. I'll try on Nolan's issue. the The Reds were on the lines with the workers. They weren't going to overthrow the world in in America and all that. But they were on there trying to trying to urge them to strike and so forth. I don't know if they politicized it. I don't know. Um, anyway. Um, I personally think I, I saw some of the concern I think some books that this book was tied up it was Rose of Sharon represented the idea that life can go on that she and Ma and all those that but Rose of Sharon at the end when she said yes she sustained a life and I didn't want to know that 40 years later Ruthie was heading a bank you know president of a bank and Winfield was a police chief or whatever uh, I think that's where he ended it, showing the despair, and yet life goes on somehow. They find a way to survive. I think when the uh, when the flood, those guys worked all night, and the bank went down because of a tree that slammed through the the mud bank, and they said they're done. And then Al says, "No, we'll build a platform. You know, we're on the platform, and so on." And then Moss says, "We got to get out of here," and they they I'm going. Whether you go, people can survive. It's amazing uh, the human factor here, and that's what I saw at the end. I didn't want it to go on. Uh, that life goes on. Rose of Sharon made her effort on this, and life goes on.
9: I thought it would have been a big mistake if he'd had everything tied up, um, because that isn't the way life is. Life is a continual motion. Um, i didn't want to know how these people all ended i agree with you totally
1: bob well part of the reason he ended the book is because he was writing it in at, at a contemporary time i think he i think he was i didn't look i think it was 1940 he was writing about the past two the previous two years the future that you all want to know about hadn't happened yet by the time he finished the book it was going to happen but it had not yet and uh, it, you know, life was going to go on, but it—it it, that was, you know, that was it. World War II was just, you know, hadn't gotten underway yet. Thing, history, uh, we know history from from then to now. He didn't have that knowledge. And that's why the book ended the way it did, I think.
4: I like to think that what John, John Steinbeck was saying here is that we all have something to give. Especially when we least think we might. I believe that he was also saying that, and certainly Rose of Sharon did in what she did, and I think along with that, in saying that we all have something to give and something to add to the world, no matter who we are, and we do, no matter what the circumstances are, I think he was also saying that hope and new beginnings, however humble or minimal they may be, come from... Strange twists and turns in life that you can't anticipate. And that is how much of life is for people who live with extremes, especially extreme poverty. They may know that they may have more of the same, but they also know that some very strange turns can come in life, and they go with them because they don't have any other choice. And most of the time they're bad. But I think he was saying here that Maybe there's this little chink, a little light that comes through the window, and there is some good and hope and a new beginning in that. And you might not know where it comes from, but it will come.
2: I agree with everything that's been said, but I also believe, and in fact, Google mentioned that um, he wanted to make a statement in fact in uh, what what Dave read in Google said that he was sickened when he experienced it and when he was able to write about it he was sick again afterwards. He wanted to hit people with this raw impact alongside the the hope. He wanted people to know what was going. He was accused of being anti-Californian, anti-American but if he had gone ahead and done a whole uh, set of uh, uh, at least even enough, even one more sequel, it would have blunted that effect. He had something to say, and as Don said, he wasn't being political. He was just, you know, as I see it, he, he wasn't in your face, as Don put it, but he was saying, this is stuff, this is this is inhumanity. There's something wrong going here. And to put an, and they all lived happier ever after, ending, uh, if indeed that's what I think a lot of us would like to have seen in, in our hearts, it would have blunted that effect.
6: And to me, he gave a really good clue um, when one of the people that was coming back, or someone was giving an oratory on the conditions that they would find, and yet, Um, It wouldn't have mattered because regardless of what they find there, uh, you know, he was basically saying, I could kill off the whole family, and yet the immigrants would still come through. The spirit of can-do would still come through into California. You know, none of this was going to stop. It gave him a really good uh, platform in which to say, look, this book is not going to have a happy ending because, uh, you know, the... The whole problem with this is that when you get down there, you're not going to find um, an acceptance. You're going to find rejection. And you just know from the get-go, if you read that real careful, that that's what they'll find. And so you get down there and, you know, you get into the camps and everything and Tom finds a job and you're like, all right, maybe they're one of the few that's going to make it. And no, the instant that, that everything goes good for them, all of a sudden, you know, Hey, here's the wage going down from, what was it, $5 to $3 or something like that, and it's only going to last for so long, and then they're going to be right back where they started from. You know this is not going to have a, a good ending, or you, you have a real good clue that it probably won't.
12: Hi, Dave, thank you. Hold on, and I'll do it in a minute.
13: Hi, um, I will say the ending, I didn't want a happy ever after ending. I didn't really expect it. Um, I was reading this in college, so I knew by that point that anything I was reading was probably not going to have a happy ending. But the image at the end of Rosa Sharon and what she did for that uh, old man, it was just a little disturbing to me. Um, As a fairly sheltered 20-something, I think, it just was a little disturbing. I kind of went, what?
3: I'm curious, may I ask? I know you're saying it's disturbing, would you rather her saying, I, I'm a lady, I'm appalled, I'll let you die?
13: No, not so much that. It was just, I mean, nowadays seeing it from and thinking about it later, I got it as being a really interesting metaphor for the circle of life, that she had this, you know, the, the ability to give something life-sustaining. She had lost the child that could benefit from it, but, you know... Here was something else she could do, but at the time, like I said, I think it's just the background I came from. Um, the image just struck me as a little, um, a, a little un, unsettling. Oh, this is Sue Ellen, by the way, and um, it just—it just, like I said, just from where I came from in life, it just—it was an image I couldn't quite comprehend.
12: Okay, Don says, and I hope I'm paraphrasing it. Okay. That he th- thinks he needed uh, to end it leaving people a choice, leaving people a choice to have regarding the choice they make, and that if he had ended it too definitively, he would have lost that sense of the ebb and flow of life, which is so typical of Steinbeck.
0: Okay, uh, well, well said everyone. We're going uh, to, I don't want to exclude if anyone's feeling like their freedom of speech is being abrogated here. I, I apologize. Jump in and Slap me and we'll, we'll give you a shot. Make sure we do, especially if you've not yet commented this evening and want to. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on whether you think Steinbeck is championing the power of the family unit here, or is are there other underlying things that he's saying about family? If you look at this unit, uh, they had their desertions and their problems. Obviously, Noah just couldn't go on anymore at one point, and uh, Connie left. Uh, the, the poor girl... Uh, just high and dry and, and pregnant and all kinds of horrendous things. And you kind of got a clue throughout the book that, that he would do that. You lose the two old patriarchs and matriarch, the the old grandpa and the grandma in, in the journey. But somehow through this whole thing, you have this family unit that somehow just sort of hangs together and hangs in there. And uh, is he championing the power of that kind of thing here, or... Or what are your thoughts? What's happening?
3: Well, I'll start. I think that one could say, okay, the family survives no matter what. But then the other side, and I'd like to hear from Wiser Heads and I, the family was crumbling. Remember, Al left, too. He said, I'm staying with Aggie. The flood's there. Well, Al, watch our stuff. We'll be back. Uh, yeah, you, They're not going to come back. And the family's disintegrating. And uh, those who want to... See what happens 20 years from now. I'll bet, you know, Ruthie and Winfield will be gone. They will not stay there. I will say I did not, uh, you know, live in Visalia and everything, but when I lived in Manteca near Stockton, and the dream of Manteca ends, the younger people, was to move to L.A., heaven forbid. I'm getting out of here. And I'll bet you Ruthie and uh, Winfield were on that group. We're getting out of this place.
11: I think not only the family, which manages to survive, but also once a person gets separated from that, there aren't such things as cell phones or some of the conveniences that we have today or uh, last remaining address where people could find out what happened to some of these people or where people could find the family again. But you had also Ma who was in it for the greater good, where there are times she had to get across, they had to make it across that desert, and she was willing to lay next to a dead woman in order to get them, you know, and not bring it to the attention of the uh, uh, the inspectors who were inspecting the, uh, to see if there were any fruits or uh, contraband. And she laid there, and she convinced them that this woman was sick, and uh, she just said... You know, they were. He laid there with her. Just, she said, "We have to make it across. We've got to get across," and was willing to do that for the common good of everybody in that family unit. And also, there was a time when there were a lot of hungry children, and mom was fixing some food, and she didn't have enough for everybody else. She had enough for the family, but she didn't have enough for everybody else and she felt so bad as to what to do in the case like that. And and uh, again, you know, she tried she said, We just I can't do this. I can't stand to see their faces and the children's, you know, hungry eyes and everything. And uh, people just wanting things like that, she said, we've got to eat by ourselves so that, you know, I don't have to, I can't do this anymore. And, but a lot of times it was what was best for, for, the, for the greater good.
3: Right, and I, I hope, uh, I'd like to yield to Jill O'Connell or Matthew Bullis. I know they haven't spoken, and I hope they will.
14: I had some, this is Matthew, can you hear me all right? I'm, I'm working with a
3: new setup. You're pretty low,
14: Matthew. Yeah, hmm. I don't. I don't. I didn't find the the mic boost button. Hopefully, you can hear me a little better now. Yeah, that's a
12: little better. Go ahead. Oh,
14: uh, I had uh, thoughts on another subject. So when when you wanted to get to it, uh, maybe we could do that. I I had some comments about songs written about the book.
3: Sure. No longer get to that. Let us get to that. But let's keep the the trend he wants here. That's good, Matthew. Hang on to it.
10: Um, I have a couple thoughts. Um. What happened to these people that just left? I mean, okay, when Noah left and and Connie, I mean, we don't, we never heard or saw of them again. Um, did they just go off somewhere and die? I mean, I, I realize we don't know that. And the other thing that I wanted to comment on was when Noah was had to made the decision to leave. He couldn't tell his mom. He had to have Tom. Uh, tell her and explain why he left Um, he just couldn't break it to his mom that he was going to leave
13: well actually um, it's ironic that you brought up this question Nolan because when I read Grapes of Wrath I was reading it for a course called History of the American Family it was the first book we started out with and yeah it did show a disintegration I mean people would drift away um, as they got more disillusioned and the family's goal didn't seem to be the, the, perf- the perfect solution didn't seem to be there in sight and you know they'd either get tired or they it seemed like the ones that left left because they were looking for another solution thinking maybe they could find it better on their own they were still looking for the promise but they weren't fi- willing to settle for what they were finding initially
0: Obviously, I don't know what what ultimately happened to that family and uh, if others like them. I do suspect, however, that that although there were changes and undulations in those families, that um, large numbers of them probably survived and would would go on to reform and rebuild at some level. Um, And I don't know what makes me say that. I guess I have an older brother who worked in the sawmill industry in Northern California. And he... um, He worked with a lot of the children of these folks who had come to Northern California from, you know, Oklahoma and Arkansas, all over the place. And uh, he talked about them, and and he would actually, uh, I'm sorry to say, actually use the term the the Okies I work with over there. So this is you know, decades later, and they were still being referred to over there as the the Okies at at the sawmill, where he worked, at least. But he spoke of them as people who, indeed, had somehow managed to keep their families together and... Had uh, you know, been through a great deal. So obviously we don't know, and you know maybe I'm being overly optimistic in thinking that somehow the Jodes, well by and large hung in there. But we'll never really know what happened to them. Um, I suspect you can't go through what they went through together as a as a group and still and then and just sort of I don't know walk away and and pretend it never happened. It's just not humanly possible to to, to do that. So. Even after Ma was gone, I suspect that uh, if we could see into the lives of these fictional people, there would be some, uh, you know, memory of what had happened and some attempt to to reform and, and reconnect. But anyway.
3: Well, when they had the flood, and Al said, I'm staying with Aggie, and Pa said, but you're the only one who can drive the truck. I I don't know. I'm not to, <laughs> I can't get in Seinvick's head, but... That was their final, the only, now they're down to walking, you know, and, and Al was 16, and I was mad at him, but he, that's what a 16-year-old would do. Me first, you know, although he, he hung in most of the way, and Tom kept him in line, too. You know, you're not going to go. You're not going to go find a garage. you got to help the family. And remember, Tom left because he had to. I, I think Tom, I hope, like to believe, it had he not Gotten any trouble or killed that guy? He he would have stayed with him. I I but but Al says no, I'm not going. I don't care. Now obviously some would say, well, there's a flood. The truck it would take a week to clean that truck out. But if they did, they weren't going anywhere because Al deserted the ship.
1: Just as a point of reference, um, that flood was very typical of what went on in this valley until they built. Um, we built. They built some lakes up uh, above the uh, above the towns here. Uh, Porterville has its own Lake Success and Success Dam. And here above, between Visalia and Three Rivers, we have Kuia uh, Dam and Cahuilla Lake. Uh, was not for These, uh, the Visalia in particular was flooded uh, as late as 1955 I mean, to the point where there were boats being rowed down Main Street. So the flood that, we, that he talks about in this book was absolutely pretty much an annual event. Well, and, and
0: uh, to Bob's point about Al, you know, even he did an honorable thing by staying with the girl, and maybe he was able to start his own new family in in so doing. You know, he he didn't he didn't uh, take advantage of her and then and then drive off with Ma and Pa Joe, to, you know, down to the next whatever or wherever. So, you you could argue that yeah, he he left them in a heck of a bind, but on the other hand, he may have uh, have done a good thing as well. So. I don't know. There, clearly this book, it's, its as Don pointed out earlier, is very typical of Steinbeck in that you're going to get both sides of, of the issue and presented fairly even-handedly. So um, you're not going to have the uh, rah-rah, pro-family, it-all-works-out family stuff on the one hand, but then on the other hand you're not going to have the this stuff doesn't matter either. So um, are there any who have not commented tonight but who would like to? We need to make sure we get some voices in there who maybe are... Hanging back a little.
12: Nolan, I see that Miriam has entered the room again. Can we see maybe if we can hear her any better?
0: Yep, let's do it. Uh, go ahead and dance on that key, and let's see if we can hear you. Uh, her point is that that he Steinbeck used the family as a sort of vehicle to communicate to his audience that these people are valuable despite their lack of education, despite their poverty, despite all the difficulties they had, that they had merit and that they mattered and that society has no business simply brushing them off, ignoring them, minimizing or marginalizing them, that, that they really uh, had something to say, something to do, a contribution that they could make if they were given the opportunity to do that, and that he used the family unity there, the the family unit in this case, as a, a sort of vehicle to help portray that, and I think that's absolutely a valid point, so thank you for that. Uh, I hope I've characterized uh, what you uh, intended uh accurate, reasonably accurately. Okay. Um, Welcome to those of you who have just entered. We're honored to have you here. Um, We're we're just talking up, talking a little bit about the the family uh, in Steinbeck's, his writing, how he was able to use the family as a uh, a means of telling the story and so on. Well let's quickly do jump to Matthew's point about um, let's broaden it just a little bit there are almost certainly musical contributions with regard to this book that have come about as a result of it. There are some cultural things that have come about as a result of this book as well. Um, I remember as a kid, my my mother, when we would pack a uh, truck uh, and camper rather full, um, she would offhandedly say, "Good heavens, we look like the Jodes here," you know, or, and I, of course, when I was little, I had no idea who the heck are they—some neighbors I didn't know about or what, you know. Um, so obviously, um, but, but yeah, I can understand that now because I do remember stuff being piled high and wide and deep in that silly old pickup. And uh, so there, clearly, this book has has had an, a cultural impact. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And Matthew, I'll let you go first if you'd like, if you're uh, able to do
3: that. Okay, hey, Matthew, you near a microphone. Let's hope you'll come back and uh, and uh, can, contribute here. I think he has some ideas.
14: Will you uh, talk, can you hear me okay?
3: Yes, we can.
14: Okay. Ho- hopefully, it sounds all right. Um, I was going to talk about the. Sorry, the NVDA was chattering away. I was going to talk about the songs that were written about the book. So, if you're ready to go into that topic, we can do that.
0: Yes, please, please go ahead.
14: Um, uh, yeah. Um, Woody Guthrie wrote a couple of songs. Actually, he, he did write a, um, a ballad of Tom Jode, which, in those days, of course, was on 78. And so it was Two Sides of a 78, and it's a seven-minute song. Uh, you can pull that up on YouTube. Uh, Woody Guthrie and the Ballad of Tom Jode uh, sung to the tune of the, the old folk song John Hardy. Woody Guthrie also wrote a song called Do Re Mi, which was about the Okies going to California, and they were being turned back. Uh, there's also The Ghost of Tom Jode, written by Bruce Springsteen and there's a another song that i found called broken plow by chris knight and i could actually play that for you if you wanted to do that um the the others i can't uh, the others are on vinyl and that's in the other room so
0: i don't know if we'll have time unless the rest of you would like to hear it i want to cover a few more topics but thank you for bringing this up because i had no idea that these songs even existed that's that's incredible to me. That I mean, we all know that the movie was made. That's that's a given, and a lot of us have seen it. So, it's interesting to me that uh, that the songs would be written as recently as uh, as Springsteen. Who, when you think about it, that doesn't surprise me because he does sing about um, changes in America and some of the uh, you know things that have happened here, my hometown. You know about his own his own uh, the the evolution and, and devolution sometimes of, of his part of New Jersey and so on. So, yeah, it would make sense that that he would do that. Um, Any other thoughts about the culture, uh, about the the long-lasting nature of this book on our culture?
13: Well, I think even, you know, that it's being used as a textbook for, you know, in classes on, you know, what the family, you know, on the progression of the family in history. I think that in itself is a kind of contribution or kind of a long-lasting
3: effect. Oh, right and I think it although they were not undocumented aliens they almost were and California has had a long history of uh, turning them away uh, it, it's, it's political politicians try to avoid it but it's they it's it's still certainly strong in our state and uh, Oakies keep out signs but it could be anyone else Chinese keep out Mexicans keep out you know uh, and uh, you know that yes they were Americans. But they were treated as, as subhuman. So, uh, But sadly, that's the history of my state. And I heard about the Jode thing. My mom would say that, too. We're just like the Jodes. Dave going to Sequoia in a 39 Plymouth with everything, mattresses up on the roof. She'd say, we're just like the Jodes.
2: Yes, yeah, just a couple of brief comments on the... Um... Uh, Woody Guthrie. In fact, the Library of Congress uh, published a collection. I met, oh, quite a number of years ago. Probably, I don't know when, but I won't even say. But I became acquainted with it in the sev in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. a a collection called Dust Bowl Ballads and this was where a lot of the the Do Re Mi and some of the other uh, songs were from also we had a friend I mentioned this to um, Dave, I mentioned this earlier we had a friend who is very much a self-made man he graduated high school uh, uh, built a business on his own uh, very self-educated outside of his high school years and he was saying something one day and his comment was he was one of the descendants, his comment was not bad for a ditch bank okey. so even that Phrase even to the ditch bank, oaky, a uh, designation by one of the descendants shows the the uh, lingering uh, impact on the culture.
8: Nolan, I know that you want to proceed with other topics, but I'm one person that would love to hear the song that Matthew has.
4: If I may make a suggestion, Nolan, wouldn't it be? Uh, it might be good. I shouldn't say, wouldn't it be? It might be good to use that song as a wrap-up. That way you have the discussion first and then have the song at the very end for those who want to stay and hear it.
0: Yeah, I think that's what we'll do. And, and Matthew, if you're okay with that, then we'll, we'll hold out until, until we're done. And then we'll let, uh, let you actually play that as the sort of closer here, if, if that's acceptable. Um, I really want to give people a shot who have not spoken. So rather than hit you with another uh, constructed question... Let me ask whether there are things that have been said here tonight that perhaps have struck a chord with some of you who haven't uh, had an opportunity to speak yet. We'll give you uh, a bit of time to respond to anything you'd like that that we haven't heard from.
15: This is Don. I got my time wrong, but I remember that there was an old joke about L.A.'s borders extending across the country because they had the deputy sheriffs at the... State border, try, uh, stopping people from coming into the state until the Supreme Court case came in. So that had a long, but I remember that was an old radio joke. Yeah, and and you
0: know, as Bob points out earlier, that this issue is still a struggle. You know, they, they, these folks have different last names now, and and English is not their native language, so it's perhaps even easier to become sort of uh, reflexive about. Do we let them in, and if we do, do we give them X privilege or Y privilege or whatever? Um, you know. So, but but gosh, these issues are still a struggle. It makes you think if, if Steinbeck were still alive, um, would he be writing uh, a similar kind of book to to this? And yeah, you know, obviously I don't know that, but um, you know. So it's not a, an issue that's dead by any stretch. So um, let me. Um, move ahead here for just a couple more minutes and and ask you about your thoughts on the, what I'm calling the between chapters, and these are the chapters in the book that seemed to be sort of self-contained, and how do I put this, and you know the kind I'm talking about, the chapters that deal with the background stuff, that sort of are the vehicle that moved the story along and yet aren't really part of the story. What are your thoughts on those chapters? What did you like? What did you dislike?
3: Well, I can't think of anything I disliked. I think that was Steinbeck's philosophy. That's Steinbeck instructing us as to his view of history. I don't know if it's a between chapter, but I remember the – and it may not be – the tractor wrecks the house, and the guy says, who do I shoot? I'll, I'll go kill the tractor owner. Well, you can, but you know it's like you're going to be hanged. Uh, well, I'll shoot this guy and that guy. Well, who owns the bank? Uh, well, it's really the Eastern guys, you know. I think Steinbeck was saying that. Then he has things on the land, on the um, the workers, corporate power, the law. Uh, very, very instructive. I like them very much. Well,
1: when I think of the between chapters, I think of uh, the one where they're describing all the cars that they and cars and trucks that they drove off, and and all the way they put them together. They put a whole chapter about those, and and you just got a real impression of these people getting these these flivers and dragging them off to california some of them even you had to crank to get them started and off they went i remember that chapter real and it just showed that you know again the make do philosophy
15: i remember chapter 19 which is kind of a diatribe a rant but i'm sure that was what got his book banned in kern county and stuff about the people came in and stole the land in the first place and then they got lazy, and, and uh, then the ok- people from Oklahoma and so on came in. It was quite a quite a, 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 a diatribe there, and I, I really liked it, though. It's a good point, Don, that, that whole
0: concept of when you're hungry, you have something to prove. And so you'll come in and steal the land from the guy who had it ahead of you, and then you'll make something And until you've, you've gotten sort of soft and lazy. And then when the next guy comes in, he's hungry and he has something to prove, that doesn't set real well with you because you've you've become sort of soft and lazy. I think these, and I don't mean to, I don't know what the term, a better term to refer to them as, the, the chapters that aren't exactly directly related to the storyline and yet absolutely are essential to it, um, I think they're crucial. I loved the chapter about the car sales people, you know, trying to s- turn back the odometers and, and put in faulty parts and you know, put in just enough oil to, to let make it look like it's going to get you where you're going and then sell it at some horrifically inflated price. Um, you know, gosh, folks, we still have uh, folks today in our society who don't entirely trust a used car salesman. They, that that profession is still sort of looked down on uh, decades and decades later.
6: And the interesting thing about that was he had he had a real good point was that if uh, I come in and I buy a car from you and you give me an inflated price and I go ahead and buy it anyway, you're considered a remarkable salesman. You know? you've, got the, uh, you've got the guy that doesn't know much of anything and you, and you, you know, bought him out of a car. But uh, in other professions, it doesn't work that way. You, know, you go into a bank and try to borrow money from a bank that way, Uh, you would be accused of robbing it. You wouldn't be considered a smart salesman for giving somebody a piece of paper that was worthless and say, you know, give me uh, X thousands of dollars just because I gave you this piece of paper and I can back it all the way up. But go in and sell them a piece of used junk that you know is used and you know is junk. As long as they can drive it off the lot, hey, (laughs) you're great. You're wonderful.
9: I think also it was meant a little bit as a back-off because the story was so powerful that it would have been overwhelming if, if there hadn't been the, the instruction, the historical notes, the, or the, um, discussing the other aspects. I think it just kind of made us back off and look more closely and in that way was more effective.
3: Oh, I think you're right, uh, Mickey. And um, certainly I hope we'll talk more about Tom Jode. Because I remember the one when he they went to get a pan for the car and all that, and they had this ugly guy, and his eye was going every which way. And and he basically said, I'm too ugly to go out. No girl will like me. And Tom really told him off. At first, though, the guy was defending the proprietor. You know, I can't help you. No, 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 I'll be fired. And by the end, he's helping him. Take anything you want. Go ahead. You think girls would go out with me? Yeah, if you give it a chance, and you know, cover that eye. You know, put a patch on or whatever. You could do it. Stop feeling, being a baby. Get up and go. And I thought Tom was very good there.
0: Let's uh, let's do that. If that's if I'm not moving us too quickly, and, and if you're feeling again abrogated and rushed, you need to. You're not going to offend me by jumping in and saying, "Wait a minute, back up, back up." There's some there's some other stuff here. Um, we're running into our final. Um, Few minutes together here. I, I did say we'd finish around 9:30 or so because I, you know, I realize there are other things you all have to do, and I'm probably cutting into the dinner hour on the on the Pacific Coast a little bit. But um, let's talk about characters. We've already sort of built a monument uh, to Ma in our conversations here. What about some of the other characters? I, frankly, uh, and the preacher was was already mentioned as a favorite among some of us. I actually like Tom a great deal. I think. Um, you know, he, he intrigued me as someone who who had every reason to be absolutely hateful and bitter and to not amount to a thing. And, you know, from the second he gets out of McAllister, the state penitentiary, in that new suit with those new shoes that don't fit real well and all of those things there, um, Tom begins to change. He begins to to really, I don't know, achieve things that I, I think a lot of other people would would. Never expect that he that he could. I'm not saying he's a perfect character, but I really came to admire him a great deal as someone who didn't let his experience in McAllister so thoroughly poison him that he couldn't move on and help the family. And and uh, quite truthfully, in some ways, I thought the father was the weakest in uh, of, of the entire group in in some respects. Quite quite honestly, I, I hope I'm not giving him too much of a raw deal here. So if I am, you need to speak up and help me. But I really admired Tom. I thought he had a lot going for him. I was sorry that he had to uh, not be involved with them anymore because uh, I think maybe he could have done a lot to help them improve their lives. And it's unfortunate that things turned out the way they did, and probably reality as well. But uh, anyway, that's my take on it. I really uh, admire him. And uh, I'll turn it over to the rest of you for your thoughts.
4: I think that maybe the reason the father was such a weak character was because maybe Steinbeck was saying that when life gets altered and is really out of sync with the way we expect it to be, even though they were very poor, obviously, always, then the the fact that people change or, or the fact that your life changes means that some characters, um, their whole... Well, they give up or they whatever it was that they believed in or thought they could do before no longer exists and they just fall apart and they come apart. And I think that goes along with this whole idea of um, family structure we talked about earlier and family unraveling. And I think that's what happened to the father. The strength is in a new generation, in Tom. And i that's how I feel about Tom. I like Tom very, very much too. And I also thought the father was a very weak character. And I got very impatient with him because... Uh, I re- well, I felt my own father was weak, so I guess maybe we're drawn to what we experience uh, or experience with our own families, and I don't mean to get off on another track, but I do think that it resonates in a way, and that's all I have to say.
3: A couple of things. Pa's whole world, though, as with everybody, but was shaken to the core. It's the men can't give up. Are they giving up? No, there's still spirit in them because they, you know, Ma was a, was resourceful and could survive, but Pa was used to the, tilling the soil. I think Uncle John was the weakest, but I didn't like him very much. Pa, you know, Pa was he asserted himself a little bit in the flood, and that was good when when Ma gave him a little. He said, I think we'll go out and build the bank, you know, an embankment if we can. And uh, I wonder about those who sat in the front of the truck. I know, I'm probably way out there, because Al was up there at times, there are times when Al did assert his leadership. Tom was always there, and Ma, and until things started happening, uh, and I know you'll point out examples where Rose of Sharon was in the front, but she was sick with Ma, but uh, I thought it was interesting. I said, oops, things are moving around now. Who's in the front of the truck?
10: I thought it was interesting when um, Tom got out of McAllister and... When he first, when he got home, they asked him if he broke out, or you know, did, they they didn't even think apparently that he had uh, fulfilled his obligation and 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 was let out because he was supposed to be. <laughs> At first, I wasn't sure where that was leading, but
3: I'm not sure if he wrote letters or if who could read them over there. Ma, I guess, could read a little bit, but you know, what do you what do you write to there? Well, they were they were stationary for a while, but uh, I wonder, Barb, if he wrote many letters so they said, did just escape? What fascinated me about
0: this in terms of the characters was watching the, the development of, of Ruthie and Winfield. Um, you get the impression, or I did at least, that, that Ruthie was going to grow up and be an awful lot like Ma. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, uh, but in spite of her uh, juvenile nature and her uh, obvious immaturity, Ruthie seemed to have some real spunk and some real... Uh, I don't know some sort of sass you know, and some backbone going for her, and I, I, they both did. And you know, again, I hate to speculate on stuff. It, it, it just as I read this, I wonder. I couldn't help but think. I wonder if poor Winfield wound up, you know, over in the South Pacific a few years later during the war, or you know, did Ruthie go up, go to work in a defense plant, or? And again, I know how silly all that is, but uh, she had such spunk. They both did, those youngest kids. And you didn't learn too much about them, but you you learned just enough to be able to picture them, um, you know, maybe breaking out of the cycle, maybe not, but, uh, you know, make perfect sense because of their coming of age right around the time that World War II would have uh, gotten started and things began to economically get better. And so we don't know, obviously, but uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on the two youngest children, whether you uh, think their characters were. Were developed enough to uh, to make you wonder about them or what? Well, they moved on to Bell Gardens.
3: You have to know where that is. I I have more hope for Ruthie. I think she grew up and became a nurse. I don't think she stayed in the fields having 15 kids or uh, she may have had them as a nurse. Winfield, yeah, the Pacific. I would say the military, of course, wh- is a place where a lot of people from disad. I'm being general here, but my brother the old air force guy where a lot of them from disadvantaged homes ain't had it so good three square meals they're telling you what to do you go out and do it where they lived in squalor back home and so winfield if his, if he was strong enough because remember moss said winfield's not that strong but you knew ruthie was it won't be rose of sharon to lead the family i think she got married and had another 10 kids
6: i was real impressed when um Ruthie went into the restroom at the camps, and not only was she able to sit on that really clean, you know, toilet, but actually to use it, of course, when uh, Winfield flushed it, that ended her courage. But I was like, you know, I was really cheering for her, going, yeah, yeah, I'll show you. It was, that was a great scene.
0: All right. Well, we've talked about some of the characters we liked, and, and Bob referenced a couple that he had some real reservations about, uh, Uncle John particularly. Um, I guess I would agree with that. I think Uncle John probably, oh, I don't know. On the one hand, he copped out and, and buried himself in his bottle. On the other hand, um, I don't know. On the other hand, he seemed to have a, a, a deep sense of conscience and uh, a deep sense of, of right and wrong. And, and you know, he his life had been horrifically affected by the, the death of his wife. And, unfortunately, he was never able to forgive himself. And, I, obviously, that was the major reason for his weakness i guess but uh what do you think about some of the characters that were perhaps less favorable what who were they from your perspective and and why were they less favorable
10: well i didn't care for connie um he just he got out um i mean maybe he had had to do that but he wasn't being realistic i mean he was thinking he was going to be able to study and and i mean maybe he was going to be able to study and, and make money, and they'd have this house. I mean, I realize this was their dream, but he wasn't very realistic for the times.
0: Good point. You almost get the impression that the family never really accepted him, and that when it came time for him to bug out, that was it was easier for him to do that because he was sort of reluctantly arm's length accepted by the others.
3: I remember when Tom told the grocer, tell him we went south. And I said, wait, they're going north right now. And they wrote him out of the family. Tom didn't like him. and The family never accepted him uh, because it was a sweet dream. But they're starving to death. Could you see Ma saying she did talk about a house someday? But uh, Connie was feeding her a line, you know. Uh, in my opinion, at that moment, I'm not saying never. But uh, then he ran.
10: Well, they pretty much implied too once that he once he left that, um, you know, Rosa Sharon couldn't expect much out of him, and, and you know, she, she just needed to move on. And, I mean, they, you're right, they did not accept him.
0: What about Noah? What uh, Was he just an incidental character? Was he just somebody that was in the book until he, you know, hang out, hung out at the Colorado River or wherever they were and, and just disappeared? Why was he in there? What are your thoughts on why he, They even Steinbeck even bothered to write him in?
3: Oh, I hate to, I, I have to say it, a reminder of Pa's sin. What he did in pulling him out, didn't he stretch his neck and master his brains a little bit? And Noah was a slow learner, to say the least, but slow learner, I'd say. And it, it was a constant reminder to Pa. And even when Noah left, Pa said, I did it. I was wrong. Yeah,
0: good point. So Noah became a sort of vehicle to elucidate the superstition of that, that family. And superstition is always going to exist where information and education are lacking. And, and so um, sure. Uh, great, great, excellent. Well put. Thank you. Any other thoughts on why the character of Noah was written into this
6: book at all? Any, any other reasons he was there? I thought it was interesting that um, while he could function on a farm, he could do the manual labor, but uh, you know, we're going into California, we're going to study radio, so we're going to be a technological people, you know, I mean... Ult- they wanted ultimately, I think, to live in town or live somewhere and, and find a house and you know do some of this stuff. So maybe some of them would have stayed on the farm, but others of them, no, we want to read, we want to study, we want to do something else. He would not have fit into that society. And so I don't know ultimately what Steinbeck would have done with him if he hadn't have left there at the river.
3: Daniel, I think that's a really good point about Noah. He would not have made it in uh, civilized what if they ever could reach civilization i don't think he would have made it all right excellent any other thoughts on characters whom
0: i have missed i know i we've glossed over the the preacher and and i in spite of in spite of himself i did fall in love with the old grandpa i just uh, yeah i know he was he was old and he was uh, at, at the end and in his cups a lot and whatever else he was but he was such a colorful flamboyant old character that you couldn't he, he made you smile uh, just some of the things he said and did you couldn't help but just smile at some of those antics and so he was a integral part of the book for me the early part especially and he was respected incidentally by the others you could see their respect for him and he wasn't brushed off and written off as this old you know doddering old man in his dotage or any of the whatever you could have said about him um, and maybe grandpa was in there to show the family's uh, as a vehicle to show their respect for one another and the, the humanity that they had for each other.
3: I wonder why Grandma was in. I know that's mean, but she was just out of it. It's just, just to show the she just was alive, barely, and that was it. Yeah, Grandpa was wonderful. I
15: think she served to show the determination and the, uh, the backbone of, of the mother who... Uh, you know, the, she knew her mother was dying. She loved her, but they they had to get across the desert and so on. That 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 took a lot of a lot of guts.
1: Well, I'm thinking that all these characters, all these incidental characters, were just characters that Steinbeck actually ran into and fictionalized and put them in the book. Because I know that the the descendants of the the Okies that I have met. Uh, they are the whole. The, they are multi-generational. I mean, my own, my own ex's family. I mean, their great-great-grandmother is still living. This is the way it was, guys. And I think he he's absolutely writing about the way he saw things from nineteen thirty-eight to nineteen forty when he was writing this book. The people he wrote about were there. They they different names, but they were there. The people were were as alive as we are today. All right, we we are down to our last
0: uh, nine or ten minutes, and I'm gonna. Uh, turn some time over to Matthew in a few minutes to if he's still able and willing to uh, hit us with a tune of uh, uh, to wrap us up from from this thing um, but before we do I, I want to make absolutely certain that those of you who perhaps have not had a shot or uh, will get one or that if there are any questions or thoughts about the book that I've missed and and throwing this all together that perhaps you get a chance to raise those questions and if we have to spill over a little bit beyond 9.30, we will, but we're going to try to bring it to a close as close to that as we can, at 9.30 Eastern, that is. So are there any, any things, any aspects of this that perhaps I've missed that you think perhaps we ought to discuss?
10: Well, I've got a question. Um, somebody said that this book was banned or something at one time. Um, I'm not quite sure why it was. Now, I wouldn't have I don't think I I would have read it at a different level had I read it in high school. Uh I didn't. It wasn't even something that was um an option. I at least that I none of my classes required it or anything like that. But I'm just I guess I'm not sure why it would be banned. Maybe I'm missing something.
0: I'll jump in quickly and then Don uh, Queen you mentioned that and I'll let you if you have something you'd like to add, one of the problems that the book had immediately upon publication was that it was sort of uh, branded as a pro-communist um, book, and or a pro-socialist, pro-reds, quote-unquote, whatever you want to call it, kind of book. And so difficult was that for Steinbeck that, that uh, as I recall, um, very quickly he had to publish some kind of disclaimer that, that you know, really denounced uh, the fact that it was a, a communist, pro-communist book. He, he really had to try to to declare that that wasn't the case. Um, There are probably other reasons why it was banned in parts of California, I don't know, but uh, I I do know that a lot of folks had some real problems with what they perceived as a sort of pro-socialist, pro-communist bent there.
7: Um, Nolan, I don't know if maybe this is just my problem or if other people are noticing this too, but you're fading farther and farther and farther away.
3: (laughs) Okay, well, what I know about it is it was an attack. Uh, yes, it was pro-red. I mean, it made them look – they were the noble ones on the picket lines getting their heads busted with the workers. It also attacked the power structure of Visalia, Porterville, Bakersfield, uh, the corporate farmer, uh, and, the, and the law cited always with the, the voters who stayed there. You know, you couldn't even uh, – remember they said uh, to get relief you had to live a year there in a certain town, in a county – that was very true, absolutely, to get welfare of any kind. Uh, Dave knows this better than I do as a social worker in these counties. They had their rules a long time. You had to live in, in the county a good long time to uh, get welfare. So the voters were um, were the farmers, the corporate farmers, the wealthy farmers, and the police protected them, and it did make them look bad. So librarians, uh, people, or clubs, civic clubs, would I could see them banning the book. Uh, and in Kern County, Absolutely. Don may have more insights th- than I have on it.
4: I would just like to say that, um, in uh, the last thing I'd like to say is, that I think John Steinbeck was very courageous in writing this book, and of course we could say that if someone is very passionate about something and feels very strongly about anything, that maybe in a way it doesn't take courage, but I think indeed it did. And I think John Steinbeck really paid a price for that, uh, because he came from a rather comfortable, if not wealthy, family himself, and I'm sure they—they, they, from what I've read about him, they didn't take to this very well. And uh, he really—it really changed his life profoundly to take that stand, um, to really put out all he could about the plight of the poor. And uh, I just want to mention that because I think it's really important. I think he's quite a man.
15: He had to be fairly well off to go to Stanford anyway. So true,
0: Don. Well, and, and yet he was, uh, unless I miss my facts, uh, he did in fact work uh, as part of that writer's project during the Depression, So, uh, or maybe not, but I, I, I thought perhaps he was involved in that in some way, but I, I, I don't mean to say that and know that for sure. So, um, Are there any additional comments, thoughts, or questions from anyone in this gathering, and Before I do that, may I please express my thanks to all of you for coming. You have uh, really made this a huge success. Um, We did this last year on Scorby's birthday, which uh, would be tomorrow, and so it's kind of fun to be able to do this almost exactly a year to the day of our, our previous one, and that was a big success, and this has been, in a very different way, a huge success as well, very much because you were here, and I appreciate that a lot. So. Are there any other questions, thoughts, or comments that anyone here would like to to offer?
4: Nolan, he did write for the WPA. That is a fact. You write about that.
6: Uh, One interesting thing about this book that I didn't know until I read it was, as a senior in high school, uh, the literature book that we had had different uh, short stories and different pieces out of novels and different things like this. And one of the uh, stories that was in there was the one about the turtle where he's going along and he uh, gets almost hit by the truck and uh, runs into the uh, ditch and actually is able to plant seeds because they get caught in the shell or something along those lines. And we read that and I was like, okay, you know, so this is the you know, something profound and you're supposed to realize, you know, that even out of, uh, you know, almost getting hit, yeah, life can come through that, you know, because he planted the seeds and that. And so my uh, English teacher said, well, what about uh, writing a story as far as why the truck driver hit the turtle and what happened to him afterwards? And so I said, yeah, that'll work. So I think about it for a bit, and I decide that the reason that the truck driver hit the turtle in the first place was because he was upset. He was angry. He had all of this and that and the other thing going on in his life. And so he tries to hit the turtle, and then he uh, keeps going. And I don't remember what else happened. Anyway, he decides he's really going to try to destroy something. I don't remember what now. It's been too long ago. And just as he starts to detro- destroy this, uh, I was always into the uh, ending that was really surprising. A UFO comes along and clamps onto the top of the truck and takes him off. And uh, the reason that that happened was because uh, boys were playing with toys, and that was the whole reason for the for this. And if I had realized that this was part of the Grapes of Wrath, I might have done a bit better instead of just kind of uh, knocking it off as, oh yeah, this would be fun, this would be great. I might have tried to write a more serious story.
0: All right. Well, uh, are there any other thoughts and uh, comments, anything that, we have, that I've missed in, in, in trying to moderate this discussion and, uh, that you'd like to bring up? Okay. Well, before we have uh, folks on the East Coast start to drool onto their microphone or into their keyboard or fall asleep or any of those kind of things, I will once again express my thanks to all of you for coming, um, encourage you to hang around, and, and if Matthew is is able to do that and, and play the a couple of those or one or two of those songs that he referenced, that would be great. We'll turn it over to him to do that. Otherwise, I will uh, declare our um, second annual fall classic wrap-up a, a great success, and my thanks again for your, your presence here tonight. You've really made a huge difference. And. Uh, by all means do let's stick around if if he's able to do that now we'll go ahead and otherwise i'll bid you all a pleasant good evening
16: load up the old dad's truck we'll leave what we can't sell Nobody needs to share coppers too, or dust feel well. Take you one last look around, shed you one last tear, for the broken plow, the broken dreams, and life we're leaving here. Pull the lines down tight The kids can ride on top of the load And in the cool of the night They can crawl underneath the tarp To stay out of the cold 11 hundred miles of mountain and sand We'll cross them tired and torn If this beat-up truck can carry us Far enough away from the storm We're going to California There's work there for a man Too proud to beg for charity Too poor to make a stand Pray it's just the land we're losing Not my life's blood that I leave On the handles of that broken plow It haunts me in my dreams A man at a roadside station Don't like dealing with my kind He beat me out of my last dollar And never looked me in the eye I heard him call us Okies. Hell, I don't know what that means But something tells me the promised land Ain't as promising as it seems We're going to California There's work there for a man Too proud to beg for charity Too poor to make a stand Pray it's just the land we're losing My life's blood that I leave On the handles of that broken plow That haunts me in my dreams This restless road is full of strangers Ain't no stranger than I am. Hardened faces damn the dust and curse the wind that drove us from a life and home we'll never know again. But we're going to California, there's work there for a man too proud to. Charity Too poor to make a stand Pray it's just the land we're losing Not my life's blood that I leave On the handles of that broken plow That haunts me in my dreams On the handles of that broken plow That haunts me In my dream